We started a series last week uh, entitled, Where Did You Hear That? And, and part of this was, we, we, we want about every year, year and a half or so, I think one of the most important things to, to do with a church body is to try to help people, uh, encourage people how to hear God. You know, how to communicate with God. Sometimes we'll do a prayer series and sometimes we'll do something like this, but we entitled it, Where Did You Hear That? Because, you know, really, if I think about prayer, prayer is communication. How many of you, how many of you recognize how difficult sometimes communication is? How it can just be tough. How sometimes we can be hard of hearing. Robbie, Robbie and I were, we were in Spokane, um, I think it was uh, Friday or, or Saturday, and I, I had a, a golf club that I needed, uh, I needed to get fixed. And so I go to one uh, outfit, and they said, we don't, we don't do that, but there's another outfit. I think it was called Clark and Stevens, you know, and I'd never heard of it. You know, they'll, they'll fix your, your golf. So I get back in the car, and I said, yeah, we need, to, we, need, we need to go to Clark and Stevens. She goes, what? I said, yeah, would you look it up? She goes, what did you say? And I said, Clark and Stevens. And she said, oh, I thought you said Clark and demons. Like what? <laughs> and it's amazing sometimes how things can just like, you know, you, you say something and somebody hears it completely different, right? It's like, she's thinking we're going on a trip to, you know, affect a little deliverance ministry. And I'm just like trying to get a golf club fixed. But communication is tough. It, 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 it's tough. It's like the first thing that the enemy messed with. Right? Did God really say this? It's the first thing. It's the thing that gets us into trouble. It's the thing that basically keeps us from moving forward. And let's be honest about that. Language itself is a challenge. And the landscape of language seems to change continuously. Words that used to mean this now mean this. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm taking back the rainbow. You know, it, it, it's crazy how these things go. And have you ever had somebody use a word on you that like you didn't know? It sounds funny, and you wonder if it's a real word or they just made it up. Like kerfuffle. You know, kerfuffle means that you, you're in, there's kind of a mess going on, right? And I'm like, we, I mean, I heard a friend of mine use that and it sounded good. He's Canadian and it sounded pretty good because it's got like Scottish roots and stuff in it. And, but I'm like, we don't walk up and say, well, that's quite a kerfuffle you're in. <laughs> I mean, it just is not our, it's just not our thing, right? Or, or I looked up a few other words because I felt like I've got a, kind of a, a heavy, challenging word today, but I wanted to make you laugh a little bit first, you know, just kind of loosen you up, soften you up a little bit and then boom, you know. But anyway, uh, how about teradiddle? Teradiddle. Teradiddle is a word, y'all. It's a real word. It means something that is bogus or a lie. So, you know, somebody tells you something's like, nah, bro, that's teradiddle right there. Like, what? Are you speaking in a different language? Or how about friend lily? Friend lily. It's, it doesn't mean lily is a friend. It's friend lily. It means in a friendly way. Or how about, this one's kind of tough. Absquatulate. It feels like, okay, I'm doing some ab work or something, but that's not what it means. It's like, it's like what it means is to flee abruptly or leave. And it comes from a, there's actually a root word for this. I mean, you know, you start thinking like Hebrew, Greek, there's actually a root word and it means to decamp. It's like you set up camp and now it's time to decamp. 
I'm like, whoever says that? You know, we just had like a Labor Day camp. Okay, it's time to decamp now. I'm like, your kids are going, what are you talking about? Or, or cabotage. It's a real word. It's not you're sabotaging the cab driver. Cabotage means you're transporting goods. It's cabotage. It's like language is tough. Or, or there's a British word that refers to a small tub or vessel. Anybody want to guess what it, what it is? A small tub or vessel. You know what it is? Firkin. Hmm. I might recommend you don't use that word out of context. But we talked last week about the primary, but not the only way that God speaks to us is the Bible, is the Word of God. And, and I want to, as I, as I kind of do just a real recap on couple points on that message to bring those of you that were camping, uh, uh, you know, on, on board. I want to point out this pretty incredible metric. Uh, Pastor Brandon Cox posted this, this research that by reading your Bible, I mean, they found out if you read it once a week, didn't really change a lot. Twice a week, kind of moved the needle a little bit. Three times a week was good, but four times a week, pretty profound stuff began to happen in the lives of people. Four times a week. Here's what they found. You read the Bible four times a week, and they find that feelings of loneliness drop by 30%. Anger issues drop by 32%. Bitterness in relationships drop by 40%. Alcoholism drops by 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant drops by 60%. Viewing porn drops by 61%. Sharing your faith jumps by 200%. And discipling others jumps by 230%. That's amazing. The Word of God is effective. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's God-breathed. It's divine. It's not paper and ink, but it's men that were inspired by the Holy Spirit begin to write and this is so, so powerful. When I think about transformation, because that's what it, it talks in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, about being not conformed to the world, but being transformed. Somebody say transformed by the renewing of your mind. When I think about transformation, I think about a remodel. You know, the remodels we've done on this church over the last 15, 16 years that is required the contractor to pull out the original blueprints, the original engineering, because over time things change and not always for the better. Amen. Things kind of degrade and et cetera, et cetera. And so you got to revisit the intent of the engineer. But the word of God is so important as it reminds us, it reminds us of the plans that God has for us, that we were fearfully and wonderfully made, that we've not been given a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind, that you've been chosen, that you've been redeemed, that you're a child, you're a son, you're a daughter of God, that you've been set free, that you become the righteousness of God through Jesus, that you have authority, you have identity, that you're blessed with every spiritual blessing, that you're predestined by God to have an inheritance reserved for you. This is what, when I, when, I, when I read this, this begins to actually speak to me about who I am, not who the world wants me to be. See, this is so important because this is so opposite of the world. And the enemy would have you believe a lie about yourself. This is interesting. It brought me to the story of Moses in Exodus. And most people here would say, 
Okay, how many of you know about the story of Moses? You know, you know about the story of Moses. Then you would say, yeah, uh, Moses had a speech impediment, right? But do you realize that actually that's the Bible never says that Moses had a speech impediment? That was Moses saying that and declaring that over himself. See, it says in Exodus 4, 10, 11, but Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who's made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And that, that just struck me because I recognized that the Bible never said that Moses was slow of speech, but Moses had taken it upon himself and declared that. And many times what happens is the enemy wants you to actually self-speak, wants you to take on some identity, take on some things, and you disqualify yourself and take you out of the, the race, so to speak. And it's not what you find that God is saying over you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You have a purpose. I know the plans that I have for you. So you read the Bible and, the, and Scripture said that it's God-breathed and you see the good report and you don't see the bad report. How many of you took the challenge last Sunday? And if you didn't hear, I gave you a challenge. I think I did. And you opened the Bible at least four times. Okay, so here's the thing. Maybe take the connection card in front of you and write down a God win. Something that happened. I mean, because if we see these metrics and they're so transformational and we realize this is what happens, I'm believing that God is shifting and shaping and, and doing some different things that are so powerful. Listen, God wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to me. God is a God that has always wanted to speak to His people. The God of the Bible has always been known for His desire and ability to speak to mankind unlike ancient gods in history. And so, so what happens is many times through the years, people have come to me with questions about the will of God. What's, what's the will of God? What am I supposed to do? And there's some really easy parts of God's will that are spelled out, what we would call God's revealed will. So we, for example, we find, I mean, when somebody comes to me and says, I don't know what the will of God is, there are some things that are clearly defined and clearly lined out that it's really easy to know the will of God if you are in the Word. First of all, it's, it's God's will that everyone is saved. It says in 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all would reach repentance. We find out it's God's will that we are people that rejoice, that pray, and give thanks. That's God's will for you. Where do I find that? That address? I find that in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We find out the revealed will of God is very clear. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy. Rejoice always. Wait a minute. God, you don't seem to understand what's going on in my life right now. You know, I've, I've had loss. I've suffered rejection. I've had hurt. I've had betrayal. I've had, you know, I've, had, I've lost somebody. And, and yet it says rejoice always. And then it says pray without ceasing. Well, how do I pray without ceasing? 
I don't have time to kind of do everything I'm supposed to do anyway, much less pray without ceasing. But I think it's a, it's a heart issue. It's a character posture. It's realizing, you know, God's not talking to you about like, well, why don't you go live on top of a telephone pole for years? Like, historically, you know, there was actually some people that did that. Well, if I go live up on, you know, on top of this tree for years and, and, ju- and just, just worship God and people would have to hand them food and, uh, you know, I'll say, yes, uh, well, maybe I'll make God happy. No. That's, that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about recognizing that the Holy Spirit is within me and God is always conversational. It talks about walking into your workplace and God just guide my steps today. It talks about encountering somebody and God, maybe there's something you want. You want me to help bless somebody today or walking into the store and go, maybe there's something I, I can encounter today, some atmosphere I'm supposed to shift today. Just being in constant communication with God. It's God's will for us to do good. It says in 1 Peter 2.15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now that's interesting because that's usually not our first lean when it comes to ignorant and foolish people. Right? Ignorant and foolish people, I'm going to correct them. I'm going to tell them where they're being like stupid. Right? That's our lean. But it says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, there's some divine supernatural thing about walking in, in the way that Jesus would walk that actually silences the ignorance of people that are foolish. Isn't that crazy? It's like, I don't know how that always works, Lord, but I'm willing to try. Help me, help me to do good. In fact, in James it says, he who sees to do good and does it not is in sin. Oh man. I mean, I tell, tell you what, we always have opportunity to do good. We always have opportunity to bless. And we know that that's the will of God. In Acts, listen, I want to point out something that's interesting, that the Apostle Paul didn't always know God's will. You think, wait a minute, Paul? The, the, probably one of the, if not the foremost contributor to the New Testament. Hebrew of Hebrews, knew everything, encountered Jesus, all this kind of stuff. I mean, this guy was like a, just incredible, and yet he didn't always know the will of God. Well, it says here in Acts 18, 21. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if, if God wills. And he said, sell from Ephesus. We find out later in Romans 1.10, always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So here's this this tension that we have. We see that there's different aspects to the will of God theologically. Scholars would identify God's sovereign will, God's moral will, God's individual will, God's permissive will, and God's revealed will. Now, when I think about God's sovereign will, what that really refers to is the overall plan for creation and universes is God's sovereign will. We, we talk about God's moral will, that mankind should live morally and righteously. God's individual will, guidance for a person's life, their choices and their vocation. And then God's permissive will, where God allows us freedom to choose, although it's still in the boundaries of sovereign and moral will. And then we covered God's revealed will, 
which would encompass the first few passages we talked about. Let me talk for just a moment about God's permissive will. When I look at God's permissive will, I think more of a relationship. That there's some people get caught in, well, here's, here's God's, you know, I mean, God's perfect will. Like, like, God's got the perfect person for you to marry. And if you mess it up, it's over. I actually don't really look at that. I think God gives us boundaries. You know, God gives us structure. It's like, you know, don't be unequally yoked with a non-believer and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a lot of room to move around the cabin. I thought I had God's perfect will figured out because I had my list. She's going to look like this. She's going to do this. She's going she's to hunt. She's going to fish. And she's going to like guns. And she didn't like any of those things. But I'm telling you what, 43 years later, she was absolutely what I needed. Now, I will, I will tell you though, this is pretty cool. I think it'd be okay if I tell the story. So we, we decide, you know, it's almost like she really tries to do, I do a lot of what she likes to do. She recognizes that. You know, you want to go have coffee, you want to have go, you know, you want to go to dinner, you want to go thrift store shopping, oh my gosh. Uh, I'm just telling you, I think the devil, invo- the devil invented thrift store shopping. Man, no, he didn't. He didn't. I'm sorry. I repent. I ask for forgiveness. Some, I'll go, but sometimes I'll just park in the parking lot, you know, and then let her, let her do her thing. But she's really trying to do some things that I would like to do. So it's like the other day, she's like, well, what do you want to do on our day off? I don't know. What do you want to do? Well, what do you want to do? I know what she wants to do. She wants to go get some coffee and she wants to go shopping. I know that. I know her well enough. I don't even have to ask her to do that. But she goes, what do you want to do? I said, let's throw a gun dog in the back of the uh, side by side and a shotgun and let's go, let's go do some grouse hunting. And she goes, okay, let's do it. I'm like, whoa, there is a God. So we throw a dog in the back of the side-by-side, and I throw a shotgun, and unbeknownst to her, I slip a little twenty-two pistol in there, and we're just, you know, make, make sure, you know, it's little walks and watching the dog, and she's having fun, and I said, how'd you like to shoot? Well, I don't know. I've never shot a gun before. I'm like, well, here, I got some ear things, and listen, you know, and I had to kind of convince her, hey, no, this will be good, and, you know, she's, a, she's out there with the twenty-two and I wish I could have videotaped it. it (laughs) No, she actually did good. She's like a rock star. You know, pow, 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 pow. I'm like, wow, that is so cool. 43 years and it's never happened. And I said, how did you have fun? She said, yeah, I had fun. It's like, praise God. But when I think about God's permissive will, a really good friend of mine, he's ministered in our church before. His name's Harold Eberly. And uh, I remember him talking one time. Now, if you know this guy, he's planted, started Bible colleges in Africa. I mean, he's just done stuff for the nations, just incredible kind of stuff he's done. And he was talking to a class one time, and he was talking about the will of God. And he said, you know, he said... Um, with all of the stuff that I've done, I've never once had God tell me to start a Bible college. He said, I just know because I'm a son what would please my father. And he actually had a world map up on the wall and he turned with a dart. 
And he said, I'm going to start a ministry wherever this dart lands. And he turns and he throws the dart and it lands in the Middle East. And right now, he's doing phenomenal stuff in Pakistan. And it's like, that shifted my thoughts when it came to God's will. It's like with my relationship that I have with my sons. I never imagined that both my boys would be in vocational ministry. I'm going to just tell you right now, my, uh, my rant, I hate the term full-time ministry. I hate it. You know why? Because I think it creates a separation and it's not biblical. I believe every believer is in full-time ministry. Every believer is given the ministry of reconciliation. Every believer is given the mandate to go and to, and to make disciples and go to the nations. And I think it just depends that you might do it differently than I do it. So basically, that was my, my heart towards my sons was never vocational ministry. It was always just, man, I don't care whether you're going to be a, a teacher. In fact, Joel, from the time I think he was about 12 years old, just wanted to be a history teacher. You know, went to, went to University of Idaho for about three years, and he was going to do that. That's why every time he preaches, you get a history lesson, because it's in his heart. But it's really good. I love it, right? But here's the thing. is like I, I, I didn't care whether they wanted to be a firefighter, a history teacher, the President of the United States, even though I think he'd make a really good one. But, um, but what I wanted them to do was just love God. Because I realized if they loved God, that that relationship that they have with God would direct their steps and their plans. The Word says that many of the plans in the minds of a man, but the Lord's purposes will stand. Uh, As a a man, the Lord directs the steps of a righteous man. So I just knew that the main focus was just just love God and make sure there's a healthy relationship. And then you're going to act like sons and not slaves. So when we walk through this, and we're, we're, we're trying to kind of walk through the, the mystery. Because sometimes there's a mystery of the will of God. I just want to know, am I supposed to go? Am I supposed to come? Am I supposed to take this job? Am I supposed to move? Am I supposed to come from Montana to Idaho? Amen. Thank you guys for doing that. That is so amazing. Am I supposed to move from Washington to Idaho? That's a no-brainer. No, I'm just, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm just messing with you. Hey, I love Washington. I was born and raised over there. I love our people. Listen, but there's a mystery. Why did I lose my job? What is your will? Why am I in this position, God? What is your will? What am I doing here? And sometimes the question We most question the will of God when we're going through hardship or uncertainty. We typically don't. We don't. We don't question the will of God when things are going good, man. I just got a raise. I've I've got vacation. Things are going awesome. We question the will of God when we're walking through adversity. If you really love me, why am I going through this? If you really love me, if I'm walking in your well, why is there betrayal? Why is there rejection? Why am I getting slandered? I'm going to tell you sometimes it's the will of God for you to go through stuff. Sometimes the, the, the suffering, the growing, the contending that you kind of walk through when you're going through difficult times will be the very thing that helps you grow in your faith. Jesus never said it was going to be easy. He just said, I'm going to be with you. 
And so when we walk through this, we question the will of God. The Proverbs 25, 2 comes to mind. It's the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. And when I don't really know what the will of God is, what it does is it tends to do two things. I'll either kind of walk away and like, I'm just going to walk in this thing or I'll lean in. What I I think God wants you to do is lean in. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. The glory of kings, Peter actually identifies as a, a, a nation of kings and priests. We lean in because we're going to uncover something. And in that leaning in, there's intimacy that's created. Sometimes I get the picture of a father with, you know, with a child or with a grandchild and you want to tell him a secret. What do you do? It's like, come here, I want to whisper something to you. What does it do? It creates an intimacy. God wants to create an intimacy in your life that sometimes you just be like, just show me what to do. Bring the Ten Commandments down, Lord. I'll follow them. And then sometimes I wonder if it's God's mercy that He doesn't tell us His will because He knows that we won't obey His will. And in His love and mercy for us, He just he withdraws. Man, there's a mystery to it. I wish I could stand up here and tell you, this is, you know, A, B, C, D, this is exactly how you impact the will of God. I can give you some great input. I can give you the Word of God. I can give you some established foundations and theological structure but there's still a mystery because there's a mystery in relationship come on how many of you have been married to somebody for a long time and there's still some things about them you don't know right i didn't know my wife would like shooting dang i wish i would have done that a long time ago she's like pistol packing mama out there that was pretty fun man But it's in those times of mystery that we're challenged to pursue harder. There's a passage in Ephesians, I need to unpack this really quick, that has to do with water. Specifically, the water of His Word. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the Word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. See, I've been pondering. A lot of times we use that at weddings and we understand. But that's actually, Paul identifies this is actually an allegory. An illustration of the relationship between the church, the bride, and Jesus. And he washes us with the water of his word. I've been pondering for a while the need for deeper wells. To be able to hear God in a more clear way, in a more and, and to be able to access resources that the Word of God says are ours, right? So a deeper well speaks to me of increased capacity, increased resources, increased wisdom, increased grace. The well speaks, wells speak of water refreshing resource, sustainable living. Wells are so important that there are battles over them. Wells are so important that ministries are created where people will go into third world countries, raise funds, and just dig a well so that a village can actually be sustained. There's so many things that were happened in significant things that happened in the Bible, old and new, centered around wells. Hagar and Ishmael wandered in the desert. After being cast out by Abraham, and what did God do? He provided a well for them. We see that Jacob settled into Shechem. 
he bought some land and became known, identified as Jacob's well. Abraham's servant was looking for a wife for Isaac and met Rebekah at the well. It's crazy if you go and just study wells in the Bible, how many references. Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at a well and spoke to her about living water. When I think about a well, it reminds me of two important dynamics that need to take place. One, that to be effective, it needs to be filled with water. Amen? Doesn't matter how many wells you got on your property, if they're not filled with water, and what do you do? I think I need to dig deeper. Right? So there's a responsibility in our part as well. I think God partners with us. We need the water. We need the resources. But then there's action that we take. There's an activity that we take. I think that that, that, that digging wells. How am, I, how am I going to do? See, God is speaking to us and washing us with the water of His Word speaks to me of deeper wells, wells of resource that not only resource us personally uh, and for my family, but also provide enough overflow to the community I walk in, that you walk in, that, that we walk in, that you influence. You uh, are in the middle of a community right now no matter where you are, that needs to be refreshed and resourced. And your ability to do that is based on the depth of your well. Come on, let that sink in a little deeper. And I'm telling you, there's a war on it. There's a war on your well. A war on the water that God wants to resource you with. And see, if God would wash you with the water of His Word, there's a tactic of the enemy to discourage you from being in God's Word. So I preach this message on this passage a number of times. It's like one of my favorite. Uh, But it just seemed to be so appropriate this morning. So for some of you, it will be new and to some it will be a reminder. But I love in John 4.14, this is Jesus and it's the first miracle at the wedding at at Cana. And Jesus' mother comes to him because they'd run out of wine and that's just a huge faux pas. That's a huge kerfuffle. In their culture. I mean, that's, that's not a good thing. And so she comes to him, and it's, it's kind of funny too, because I kind of go, my imagination runs a little wild with it. I'm like, because his response to her is like, it's like, um, woman, it's not my time. That's his response. And she just ignores him. And she just turns. And she goes, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And you know, you know why I think that Jesus did it? Even though He already stated that it wasn't His time because He was going to honor, thou shalt honor thy mother and father. So He's going to fulfill the law. You know what I'm saying? But then I'm thinking about Mary. And I'm thinking about, I believe that probably she's seen some pretty strange stuff at her house before. <laughs> Have you ever thought of that? It's like, why would she just out of the blue go, um... Mm, Jesus will help you make some more. Just whatever He does, do it. Because maybe somewhere back in the day, there's just been things like, uh, I don't know, it's like, mm, I want some cookies, but there's not enough flour. Hey, Jesus, would you uh, to make sure I get a little extra flour? I don't know. I'm just like, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, the Bible says if all the things that were written about Him were in books, or the world would not contain them. So there's lots of stuff, right? But anyway... But whoever drinks of the water I will give him shall never thirst, but the water I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up into eternal life. And now in John 2, 6, 7, 
It says, now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. We know that in this story, the pots were made of stone and thus their purpose was ceremonial only. Uh, Clay pots were considered to be impure for ceremonial purposes. So the story is, is that Jesus took something that was only filled enough to be ceremonial and said, fill it up enough to be useful. Six, numerology is the number of man. So when I look at this, I think that also it's speaking to us of some things like, for example, are we filled up enough as believers to just be ceremonial? Or are we filled up enough to where God can do some divine, miraculous things in our life? I really believe this just leaps out at me. Genesis 26, I'm going to have to unpack this pretty quick. I told you I was going to get everybody doing good. Okay. Genesis 26, 12 through 22. Now Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy, for he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household, so that the Philistine, somebody say Philistine, envied him. Now all the wells which his father's servant had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, the Philistines stopped up by filling them with earth. So the Philistines could be a type and a shadow of an enemy that we face today. An enemy that is envious of what God would provide for us as a resource, strength, power, and blessing. And it was a tactic of war to take a city. You would plug up the wells. You would poison the wells. You stop the flow of water. And it's also an allegory. It's also a type or shadow of the enemy tactics in regards to our rivers that were promised. How many of you have ever said or have heard somebody say, I'm just feeling dry today. I'm just going through a dry season. I just kind of feel like I'm in the desert today. I just feel like there's something in me that's just, 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 I'm empty today. Without living water, we become at best ceremonial. Maybe we look the part, but we're not useful enough for the foundation of the miraculous things that God desires to pour out through us. Your family, your neighbor, your community cannot afford to have you just be a ceremonial Christian. We got to be filled. Paul writes, he writes this, he said, I would that you are be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the breakdown of that verbiage is that be being filled. It's an ongoing thing. And then Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us for you're too powerful for us. And Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And then Isaac dug again the wells of the water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham and he gave them the same names which his father had given him. Now, just time out. I want to make one minor point. It's important that we understand you can't survive on the wells of your father, your mother, your pastor. They're all 
a, a place to be refreshed and a place to be sustained, but you've got to be in a place as a believer where you dig your own wells. You have this intimate relationship with the Lord. You can't let my Bible study be a substitute for your Bible study. You can't let my worship be a, a substitute for your worship. You can't come in and say, oh man, that worship was great and I felt goosebumps. Man, you need to be activated. You need to be part of worshiping. You need to make this a lifestyle. Amen? But then in verse 19, it says, But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of flowing water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, The water is ours. And so he named the well Eshek, because they contended with him. Eshek means contention. Here's my first big idea. Contention will stop up your wells. There are many times when we need to contend for the right thing. Contend for the faith. But I would present to you that we can also contend for a lot of wrong things. And we can fall into a pattern where we're always contending. And many times in the wrong battles are those without any spoils. We live in an angry culture. We live in a divided culture. You know, I was reminded, uh, I was talking to one of our other local pastors because we've walked, our community is walking through such a contention, divisive thing, you know, recently. And he said, yeah, you know, I said it feels a lot like we did when, you know, they were trying to bring a smelter in or COVID came or whatever. It's like people are angry and they're frustrated and they're just looking for something to fight about. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't some things that are worth contending for, but you've got really, to really be careful that the pattern of your life is one that basically is you're always looking for something to contend for because it can stop up your well. The Bible says that the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So when we, when we continue to unpack this story, in verse 21 it said, Then they dug another well. And they quarreled over it too. So we named it Sitna. Sitna means quarrel. Quarreling will stop up the wells. Proverbs 21.9, it says, It's better to live in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. All the husbands said amen. Proverbs 20, I'm just the word of God, man. I'm just reading it to you. This is it. Proverbs, 20, Proverbs 26, 21 is charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling fire. 1 Timothy 3, 3, not a, be not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. 2 Timothy 2, 24 says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. But we live in a culture that likes to argue. We live in a culture where it's become an art. We live in a culture where you get a lot of money because you can argue really well. And I'm like, man, you know, you know what? bothers me about people that just like to argue all the time is there's something in them that likes to win all the time and and and, and, I, and I when I look at this I'm going I'm going like even when you look at choosing elders in the New Testament what is one of the qualifications an elder shall not be quarrelsome that's crazy well does that mean you're just like milk toast no it doesn't mean that it means you pick your spots 
You know, and you, you kind of, you kind of find the right, I mean, realize, okay, this is worth, this is worth contending for. But I'm telling you what, I think it's just gone way, way over the top. The Bible nowhere says anything good about quarreling. Being quarrelsome calls it a sin, declares it disqualifies for leadership. Yet once again in our country and culture, we've turned it into an art form and we justify it. Can I have our worship team come up? I don't think these are the only things that the enemy likes that the enemy uses to plug up our wells. I'm talking about the resource. I'm talking, listen, if you don't have the wells full, it's hard to hear from God through all the confusion. God wants to speak to us. I think offenses plug up the well. Think about this. Say there's a well of great relationship between you and your brother. What plugs it up? It's usually offense. I don't want none of that. I don't want none of that water. He doesn't want any of this water. Or bitterness. I mean, what do you do? Why do you stop drinking out of a well? Because it's bitter. Or how about gossip? Gossip will absolutely plug up the well that God wants you to dig and He wants to fill with His Spirit. Or misdirected priorities or materialism. Sometimes we just got, you know, it's like, remember when the Philistines, they said they filled it up with earth? To me, that's natural stuff. Sometimes it's just the natural stuff, the busy stuff, the misdirected stuff that just basically fills stuff up. And then you wonder, how come I can't hear from God? How come I'm not, not feeling the direction or the peace or the joy? Because you got a bunch of junk in your well. Or how about sin? Oh my gosh, I didn't think that God would talk about sin. I didn't come to church for somebody to talk about sin. Well, I'm sorry, but the Bible talks about sin. Jesus died for our sin. I'm telling you what, sin will plug up your well. The man that was laying by the pool of Bethesda is an illustration of this. 38 years, there's this man, he's laying at the pool, hoping the angel of the Lord will come down and stir it, and then hoping somebody will put him in the well, put him in the pool so that he's healed. Jesus comes along and basically heals him. Well then, you think, end of the story, that's awesome. No, it's not, because we find out in John 5, 14, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Whoa. I don't know, man. I'm thinking this poor guy, he's an invalid. He can't even put himself in the pool. He's laying by the side of the pool. How much sinning can he be doing? But Jesus said, Sin no more that something worse than this won't happen to you. With that, I'm just going to say sinning will stop up your wells. All of these things in the flow stops. It gets hindered. And yet we can be lulled because we still think there's water. Maybe there is. Maybe there's enough to be ceremonial, but not useful and not foundational for divine, miraculous, healing, whole things that God wants to do in your life, in my life, in our community. There's a difference between standing water and living water. Still waters run deep, brother. You know what? When I'm up in the mountains and I find still waters, they usually stink if there's no current in them. I was taking my, such an illustration of how we are, how we can be. So I got my dog up there and he's running around and 
you know, he's hunting and I know he's hot and I've got a, I've got a bottle of water and I got a bowl and I'm like, hey, come over here, buddy. And I'm pouring it in there and he's so distracted. He doesn't want to eat and I end up pouring the water out. And then what's he do? About five minutes later, he finds like a four-wheeler truck that's filled with muddy, gross water and he's, he's chowing down on it. And I'm like, get out of there. You know what I'm saying? But man, we've got this water this living water. Jesus said, from your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And yet sometimes this other stuff happens and we don't value that. We don't realize how important that is to cultivate that. We don't realize that, man, that's one of the reasons that I I pour myself into worship. I pour myself into prayer. I pour myself into the Word because every time I do something like this, I'm actually digging that well a little deeper so that God will fill it by the power of His Holy Spirit. There's a current present of the Holy Spirit is the current of the Holy Spirit present in your life. And then finally we see in Genesis 26, 22, I love this. He moved away from there and he dug another well. And they didn't quarrel over it. So he named it Reboth. For he said, the last, at last the Lord has made room for us and we will be fruitful in the land. When the wells that God desires are opened up, we can expect to experience fruit and room, which is what Rehoboth means. I believe that God is a good Father and that He wants to make room and that He wants to bring fruitfulness into our lives. The good news is that the desire of Jesus is that from our innermost being will flow rivers. I'm telling you, church, this morning, there's a war on the river. But when we recognize it, when we turn from that, when we ask for forgiveness and resist the enemy in some of those areas, it can flow again. I believe there are people here this morning, maybe maybe on with us online, that in the past you've heard from God, maybe in a clear way, and maybe there's been a frustration. There's no longer the flow that you experienced. I I think you respond today and God will bring refreshing. There are people here that once had such an abundance of resource for others, but it's like you're dismayed because you seem to have dried up. You're just going through the motions. Man, God doesn't want you to go through the motions. It It would be like me being content for my wife or my family to just go through the motions of relationship that's not God's heart he wants there to be an interchange an exchange a life a love a blessing there are people here this morning that maybe in the past you've heard from God but there's a flow that's no longer there there are people here this morning that once were full pots now you've resigned yourself to just be ceremonial but I believe that Jesus wants to fill you up again today if you're here this morning let's just bow in prayer if you're here this morning and this is resonating in you and you just say Lord I I I recognize maybe the level of the well is not what it was what it should be what I've experienced before I want you to just raise your hand this morning. I believe the Lord wants to thank you. I I believe the Lord wants to fill you up this morning new and fresh. 
Anybody else? You're just feeling like, Lord, I just need you to fill those wells up again, please, God. Maybe, maybe I haven't realized I've plugged them up. Maybe I haven't realized the enemy's come in and he's just sown stuff that's that's just kind of like just, you know, just stop the flow up. But but this morning you're saying God fill. So I pray for every person here right now. Fill us up, God. Fill us up by your Holy Spirit. If you're here this morning and maybe you've never given your life to this Jesus, we always give the invitation. You've felt the presence of God. Maybe you've known about Jesus, but you've never taken that step to say, Lord, here am I. I I declare and I surrender to you. Take my life. Enter my heart. I become a follower. If you've never done that before, I want you to just raise your hand. Because I want to agree with you. We do these things in community. Thank you. 